Welcome to episode 100 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Okay, welcome back. In this episode, you're going to hear a recording of our live broadcast of the 100th episode. Uh, So we recorded a week ago, which we usually do. Uh, We record the week before the show airs. So this is a recording of that live broadcast of our 100th episode. And we had some very, very special guests. We had Michelle Wolvere. We had Sarah Wu. We had Abby Hickling. We had Michelle Posner. And we also had Dawn Cotter Jenkins joining me and Kim on the podcast. So please sit back, listen to this great discussion about telepractice and related topics, and we know you're going to enjoy it. We'll be back again next week with another episode, so please join us for that, and we'll see you then. Here's that recording. Thanks. Hi, are you creative? Do you want to give a webinar or teach a course? Maybe you're a writer. Do you want to create a blog? Maybe you have an idea for a podcast. Whatever your passion is, we at 3C Digital Media Network want you to be a content creator so we can bring your ideas to life. So, to get started, visit our website at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com and sign up to be a content creator. We look forward to seeing your passions come to life on our platform. Okay. Well, thank you guys for giving up some time. I know you're all busy to join us on this 100 episode celebration. And we, Kim and I really uh, want to thank you guys for uh, at some point uh, in, the, in the recent months had uh, agreed to be on the podcast, but also for all of our millions and millions of listeners out there, we want to thank them too for, for always uh, supporting us and tuning in and and helping to spread the word as well. And so, Kim, you can jump in if I talk too much. <laughs> Just cut me off. Yeah, yeah. I try. I have to always get out of my like school brain when we hop onto these because I could just switch from one thing to the other. But yes, I'm so excited to be here. So excited to be celebrating our 100th episode. So excited that I've had a hundred different chances to learn from each one of our guests and all of the things that you guys have taught me and have 100% made me a better therapist. So I hope that we, everyone who's listening, feels that way too. Very much so. Um, and, and I I too. And so the stuff I've learned on here has been crazy. I mean, I just, you know, thing I, I thought I knew what I was doing until I started talking to all of you guys. And then suddenly I realized I didn't know what I was doing. So I appreciate all of these different conversations that we've had over the past 100 episodes. So really fast, why don't we start with each person and just kind of briefly introduce yourselves uh, so that uh, when we release this as a podcast, 
episode, then everyone will know who's on this. We'll have that in our show notes as well. But just let's, uh, I'll call on each one and just kind of introduce yourself and uh, any updates you want to share about what's going on. And then we'll just have some discussions about, um, you know, world health and the economy and all those good things. <laughs> no. No. Uh, so, uh, so Dawn, why don't you start if you don't mind? I do not mind. And thank you for inviting me. I don't mind at all. This is great. Thank you for thinking of me and asking me. I appreciate that. I am excited to be here tonight. Um, my name is Dawn Cotter Jenkins, and I live in Queens, New York. Um, I work for myself in private practice. My private practice is called World Class Speech Services. And um, I'm also uh, sometimes, often, uh, you know, uh, professor or, or instructor rather at, at various universities. So I don't want to act like I don't ever do other things, but, um, but either way uh, I am working in telepractice through uh, trainings and development of uh, people's skills individually, but mostly through um, as much as possible through uh, organizations that want to build and grow their telepractice programs. And I try to, you know, elicit and support those services as much as possible. Awesome. Thank you. Michelle, how about Michelle Posner? How's, how's that? Two Michelles, I forgot. Yeah, so hi, Michelle Posner. Thanks for having me again. Um, so I am a, I do testing and placement for special education for DC public schools for kids that are between two and a half and five. Um, I also, on my free time, love to develop um, materials for telehealth and for in-person therapies. And recently, I became a consultant for Smarty Ears and Speech and Language Academy, which is a fantastic platform for giving therapy uh, via telehealth. So I'm really excited to be here. And I'm just going to plug my fangirl moment that I'm so excited to see Sarah Wu because I've followed her like on Pinterest and on Instagram. And when I saw her name, I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to see her in real life. So I'm a huge fan. I had to say it. We're, we're all fans, so right? <laughs> Uh, Abby, how about you? Yeah, hi. Um, thank you for inviting me for this celebration. This is awesome. Um, so I am Abby. Um, if you don't know me, I'm a speech language pathologist. Um, I own a private practice. And also in 2020, my husband and I started GoGo -Go Speech. Um, and so while I already had some teletherapy um, experience, it was really difficult transitioning my in-person kids when COVID hit um, to a play-based approach virtually. Um, so I started designing my own activities. I draw all of all of the stories um, myself, and it's been it's been a really crazy but awesome journey. Uh, I was creating basically a, a children's book every single week for a while and not sleeping, but, um, but it's, you know, it's been really cool to see how things are evolving. We have, um, you know, some awesome, an awesome community and, um, we are currently working on our new platform. So, um, I've taken a little pause on creating new stories, um, for the last few months while we are working closely with our awesome developers 
And we're going to have this, this platform where we have all of our stories um, ready to use, ready to go, and also a bunch of other new features and content to use along with them. So we're really excited about that. And we're excited to um, open up for all the new members that are waiting for our membership to open back up. We had closed it a few months back, but, um, but really just uh, super engaging digital materials, uh, that you can use in whatever setting. And, um, you know, we really just focus on that play-based approach and, um, you know, engagement is, is key for therapy, you know, especially when you're digital too, you, you need that engagement to really see that success. So, um, yeah, that's, that's really our focus and yeah. Thank yeah, you. I, I, I love them. I have to put a plug in too for them. Um, I had a, um, a couple students last year who were on the autism spectrum and I just really, my only goal was to get them to not hate seeing me <laughs> <laughs> was what I felt like if they could, if they could number one, not hate when they had to see me and number two, start to be engaged. And I had one student that I would have um, your activities and I'd have core words on there with it. And then the parent would, I'd learned the signs that went with the core words I was doing and the parent would sign to this, his child too. And we went to the, um, from her copying, imitating and about and doing about five signs per a 30 minute session to the end of the year, we were, she would copy, imitate and produce about a hundred signs per session. And that was all using all of your stories and uh, green screens and everything. So that's that, my plug that they are so much fun and so engaging. That is awesome to hear. No, that's awesome. And the, I mean, what's what, I think what really helps is the, the interaction piece. Like you're, mm-hmm you're experiencing the stories, the adventures with the child. You're just like so involved in it with them. And and I think having that, that piece of it to really help bring them in and draw them in. So that's, that's really awesome to hear. (laughs) Thanks for sharing that. (laughs) Michelle, how about the Michelle B? Yes. Hi. Thank you both. All of you guys so much. This is really exciting to be a part of this amazing celebration. So my name is Michelle Boisvert. I'm a speech and language pathologist. I live in Western Massachusetts, and I'm the co-founder of easyreportpro.com, which is a software, a diagnostic software writing um, system that uses dynamic templates to help write reports. And I've been doing telepractice for about 12 years, and I have to say, I'm constantly in awe of the evolution that has happened Um, not only the past 12 years, but kind of like we have seen this like monumental growth spurt over the past two years. And so it's really cool just to see what everybody is doing, the just collaborative creativity of, um, of all of us who are, who are doing these. And I'm also really interested in how we can strategically use technology, not just for direct services, but also for workload management. and. Uh, so it's awesome. I'm really thrilled to be a part of this conversation. Thanks again. Thank you, Michelle. Sarah. Hi, I'm Sarah Wu. Um, I'm also a speech pathologist, bilingual speech pathologist based in the suburbs of Chicago. Um, I have been, it feels like, you know, your career feels like there's evolutions. Um, and so I did 10 years in person in the schools and then I did four years of teletherapy prior to the pandemic. 
And um, I love teletherapy and I just thought this is the best, but I knew that with my 2020 happened. And so I stopped because I had my two kids at home, my husband working from home. I knew I couldn't do it, (laughs) you know, and with the chaos of my life, which by the way, I love that the screen doesn't capture the chaos that (laughs) is over there. My door is right here. So I'm hoping nobody comes running. And if they do, and I quickly turn off my um, video, you'll know that somebody came in here. (laughs) Hopefully fully dressed. (laughs) Um, Anyway. um, Yeah. So um, what I think is really interesting that I've been doing since the fall was I became um, an adjunct and clinical supervisor at a school called Lewis University, which is in the suburbs of Chicago. And it's going to graduate their first class of master's uh, students just within the next month. And um, they, they asked me to come in because they set up this really cool thing. And what they did was it's a smaller campus. And so the speech department is like at the basement floor and then the floor immediately above it is um, what are used to be residential. The rest of the building is the dorms, but um, the, the director of our program got, got some kind of grant and turned the entire floor of dorms into teletherapy suites. And, and now because of her connections in rural Illinois, where students weren't able to receive speech therapy persistent SLP shortages and um, the ones that do have SLPs overloaded with students. And we um, are, then we also have graduate students that need hours. And so um, that's what they call, it's called the CIT, the Center for Interdisciplinary Telepractice. And not only do speech students cycle in and out um, every day, occupational therapy students and mental health counselors cycle in and out of the teletherapy suites. So it's, I I feel like that program is so creative in the way that they're meeting everybody's needs. And um, I've been, I've been really enjoying that quite a bit um, because I can jump in as a zoom clinical supervisor and I'm, you know, audio visual off and I can type right in the chat, Mm -hmm. try this, do this, say that. And, and it's like instant feedback you know, some people maybe couldn't handle that. Like actually me as a person, it would be very disjointed for me to get a lot of feedback during my therapy, but the students get used to it. (laughs) Um, And I think it leads to like really getting to those instead of jumping in in an obnoxious potentially way in a clinical supervisor setting. It's a very subtle way of maybe handing them some tools in the chat. Yeah. I remember that when some of my first sessions were with Todd as my supervisor um, doing telepractice. And I remember it was almost like a Jiminy Cricket moment. He was just kind of like in the background. He was in the same room as me at that point, but he was kind of in the background, couldn't be heard on the camera, would just kind of like whisper things to try. And it made me like almost like more confident because it was less intrusive than if someone had like jumped into my session and said, no, you're doing that wrong. But it was just, yep, he was my little Jiminy Cricket on the show. Shoulders and giving suggestions. <laughs> I'd usually say, "What the hell are you thinking?" Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. I think we lost Dawn there for a moment. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, 
let's uh, have a conversation. Uh, and I know I didn't send any questions ahead of time. It's how uh, we roll. <laughs> yeah, that's how we roll. We just kind of go with it. Uh, so a question is, what do you see as sort of the the need right now in this sort of telepractice community from your perspective? Um, and you you each have different perspectives. What what's the need? Is it is it more materials? Is it more training uh, of professionals? Is it is it more resource? I mean, and just what is it that you th- what is it that we need to really continue to support telepractice service delivery going forward? And, and so I'll just keep it kind of general like that. And whoever wants to jump, jump in. in. So So I'm going to jump in. So I I think one of the things we definitely need is more training. So the biggest shift I had to do in my work, um, I test all the kids that are two and a half that are, you know, going from part C to part B and testing virtually um, was very difficult. Right. So I would say a lot of training and just thinking about how everybody where I work handled the work of you know, work had to keep going. We, we did not stop evaluating at all during the pandemic. And we just all took a very different approach um, to it. And now that this has been around and it's been here for some time, you know, I think kind of like how Asha has us have so many hours of ethics, you know, I think telepractice should be added in, you know, especially the way things are going and in flux. I really think that more training, especially in, in the area of giving therapy and in assessments would be needed. So more training across the board, in a sense, doing all these different things that we do as clinicians. Can I just jump in? I'd love to second that for training. And also, I think um, as clinicians use technology for telepractice and we become more familiar with it, we start to get this clinical flexibility. You know, we're so used to kind of thinking on our feet in the moment with on-site services, whether it's using a different book or quickly changing material, the same needs to be true for online services. So quickly knowing how to scaffold material, how to use different material if something's not working, or even identifying appropriate material supporting behavior, all of that, I think, kind of gets rolled right into that training, that that feeling of being comfortable in an online setting. Yeah, I'm going so. to. Oh, sorry, Kim. Go, Kim. Sorry, no, Go, no. Kim. I was gonna, just going to say, I think that too, and um, just that being so comfortable that you're moving from activity to activity or level to level the same way that you would be in person, I think is important. Yeah. Don? I No, I agree. I absolutely agree. It comes easier once you've been doing it for a few years, right? right. So I also started um, in 2013. So I thankfully started before the, the crunch of COVID-19. And so I had definitely more sessions under my belt. So it becomes easier to be flexible in those cases also. I was going to add that um, I'm going to actually be part of the new cohort for the ASHA Leadership Development Program. And my specific plan, I don't know, have, have any of you guys joined, participated in that particular program? So oh. feel free, jump in, apply. <laughs> but um but my, my plan for, for that actual, that program is 
um, going to be actually part of telepractice um, combined with uh, what under-resourced and underserved communities and how we can do more with telepractice to get to uh, connect them to the services that they need that they have not been able to receive over time. Because now I think that the broader awareness of telepractice is going to create a more sustainable approach for us to be able to, you know, to, to kind of identify and present various different platforms and more opportunities to do services in more communities that weren't able to get those services before. And I know that it's, you know, as with everything else, there are challenges, but I think that that's the opportunity that I see, I foresee in the near future and hope that I'm, you know, able to, part, you know, do something towards that. So I live in, as I said, I live in Jamaica, well, I live in Queens, I didn't say I live in Jamaica, Queens, but I do live in Jamaica, Queens, in New York. And so New York City, you know, as you know, reputation goes, it does have some significantly underserved communities in and around the city, but anywhere could be underserved and under-resourced. It doesn't have to be New York City. And so, and, and, and I also think about the international um, opportunities too. Um, so those to me are where I see the future of what we're doing. Thank you, Don. You know what kind of popped out at me when you said, you mm -hmm. know, you mentioned teletherapy. I actually think that teletherapy needs some good PR because the problem that we saw was that we were like people who don't like teletherapy were forced to do teletherapy and they didn't necessarily all like it during 2020. Mm -hmm. And then they were like, oh, can't wait to get back to in person therapy, you know, although there were like, um, people that were like, wait, this was really great. Like, I actually really liked it. But um, I think I think teletherapy needs like a good PR campaign. Because honestly, it's so great. And, and just the, the students that I'm seeing, I'm working with at Lewis University, I mean, imagine if you, in your clinical practicum, you have a semester of teletherapy and and how great that is for you to develop, develop those skills for you to have your own clients down the line. And um, I want to also add that my son, my youngest son, has been getting teletherapy for his R. And I found the speech pathologist on Facebook. <laughs> and it was just, a, it was a post actually in the speech pathologists of Illinois Facebook group that I was like, you know, my son, I've been working with him with R, he plateaued. And I'm just like, what now? And like, people are really nice, but they were like, you know, maybe he doesn't need to work with his mom, you know, maybe he needs that, you know, somebody else. And I was like, okay. And then this one lady pops in and she's like, I love R. I'm in North Carolina, but I'm certified in Illinois. I, I would love to work with your son. And I thought, wow, you don't find too many people that say they love R. <laughs> right. <laughs> we, we need a list <laughs> to send people to the people that love R. <laughs> I know. And so um, he started with her last year in March and he got dismissed in January just a few months ago. And, and it was 15 minutes of a week every Thursday morning before school R with her over teletherapy. 
And so I feel like anytime any Facebook group or somebody says teletherapy doesn't work or teletherapy stinks, I want to say, my son got an R and I had gotten him to R in isolation and words, but she took him to conversation in 10 months, teletherapy, 15 minutes a week. Wow. And wow. (laughs) (laughs) I still, I'm still blown away by that. Well, we need her name and number so we can get her on here to tell us. <laughs> Actually, how to do yeah, that. that's not a bad idea. I should connect send you guys. It to, yeah, send it to us. Okay. Yeah, I will. But I think like that flexibility too of you can find someone who specializes in the thing that you need from the consumer side or from the professional side and then and make it flexible for what works for you. You know, you don't have to drive into a clinic. You don't have to make it an hour once a week because you can't get there any other days than that, you can make it 15 minutes, three times a week. You can be more flexible because it is online. And I think having people see that would be great. And I love, we're, we're trying. This is our, our effort to give some good PR <laughs> to telepractice. I definitely agree about the PR piece. I think there's definitely people who are just, you know, really uh, resisting telepractice because, Um, You know, they think it's just so much more difficult, but, you know, I I think training is a big piece of it. Um, I think a huge piece of it is relationship. If you're able to get the relationship virtually and maintain it, then you're going to have successful sessions. Um, And I think, I think the people who struggle with teletherapy might struggle with achieving that relationship with the child. Um, And that makes it really difficult. Um, It's difficult to pull them back in. Uh, when they're drifting off or not complying with things. And, um, and that can be challenging if you don't have the right strategies and, and the right techniques to bring them back. Um, You know, I obviously think materials are also part of it, but um, you know, making sure you have, I like what Michelle said about uh, being able to be um, uh, versatile with the Uh, different strategies you use or different uh, materials you use. Sometimes you have to switch things up um, depending on how the session's going and just having, having those skills to be able to do that virtually um, is really important. So. Yeah. Thank you, Abby. Very good. So one of the things that you guys mentioned was training. We definitely need more training. How do we do that? And, I, and I'm at a university, the other hat I wear. And so uh, I would love to find some type of simulated telepractice experience. And, and Sarah, you may have you know, sort of run into this with, those grad, with the grad students you're working with, but it would be great for, to have something set up that they can practice on. Um, I- I wonder if um, those virtual, um, you know, AI, VR settings can be more helpful. And I'm, mm-hmm. I, I admit that we just recently bought a, a, a headset. I won't name the name, but you know which one it is. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and it is, it is actually quite fascinating, of course, because you really do feel like you are immersed into that location, that setting. Mm -hmm. And there's one of them that I have that um, shows as if you are in uh, 
a virtual boardroom or, you know, kind of mm-hmm. lecture hall. So again, you know, there, there's opportunities potentially for using those types of um, things. And, and, and specifically the, uh, the apps that I downloaded had some, some things to do with practicing presentations. And so, you know, talking and saying these things out loud, and I'm thinking that that might be an opportunity for, for us to, to do that virtually, so to speak. But of course, there's definitely other ways to train, by the way. So that is not, that is not the end all or be all. But as we're talking about virtual opportunities, I think that that would be fun. And, and like you said, kind of like, students can students sorry students and uh, practitioners so I also think clinicians um, I think uh, Sarah might have mentioned it earlier um, is that you know a lot of clinicians came afraid Um, in in the COVID-19 time it's almost like an emergency and the emergency was already an emergency let alone that they have to meet mandates or whatever the case may be so it's also clinicians that can kind of do it uh, do those types of practices on their own to um, to to help themselves, so to speak, uh, do do better in presenting. It doesn't help with the behaviors, though. As Abby said, I don't know if you can uh, simulate a, a a child that is literally refusing and turning off the camera. Yeah. <laughs> <when you lose. laughs> I did. Yeah. I, I know that part. <laughs> Well, and I think those are excellent points. And I would kind of go to what Sarah was saying. I think it would be, let's start with all these incoming graduate students. You know, if we could somehow advocate for ASHA to include some form of telepractice, you know, hours before graduation. Yeah, as old folks, it'll be harder to get us to do new things. But that's one easy way to get more people more comfortable with telepractice is in grad school. Absolutely. I, I love that. And another really cool thing that graduate programs could do is almost like partner training, where one person on one side is obviously the clinician, the other person is um, our client. And they're answering or responding in a way in which the disorder would kind of manifest. And it kind of provides a really great opportunity for students to kind of gain a really good understanding of the particular type of disorder, um, respond in a particular way. And it could be even with behavior um, challenges and also practice using telepractice. And mm-hmm. so there's so many cool ideas. Um, I don't know if like simu, I don't know if like simu, other simulated types of um, programs offer telepractice as well. It's interesting that you said that because when you were talking, I was thinking that last semester um, I was working with the students through SimuCase and they were, um, there was only, you know, one or two telepractice um, examples that the students were using. And so, you know, so, so in other words, you know, before they walk into the practicum experience, because I was Mm -hmm. a clinical supervisor and I also um, did telesupervision 
while I was a clinical supervisor. So that part um, was, was definitely a learning curve for them anyway. But in the simu case version of things, they don't get a lot of the uh, understanding or, or opportunities to see examples. And yeah. maybe each and every one of us here can do, you know, a simu case. <laughs> not volunteering myself. Each and every one of you can do <laughs> a simu case example. So, uh, so hi, Sarah Wu's son. She's saying Little Wu. <laughs> no. So, um, so yes, I, I think that we need more examples of that in in those platforms also yeah i think so sorry too. for the interruption there um, um i was just about to say too um just it's funny to see um a graduate student who's learning how to do therapy do teletherapy for like their first day like i'm i'm happy that sometimes my video isn't showing because they're and my audio because then i can kind of laugh to myself you know um <laughs> <laughs> but um like for example they'll take out something physical like i'm not i just have this double dice on my desk just because i do but um you know they'll take out an arctic card and be like you know right you see that hold it up yep <laughs> hold it up to the screen <laughs> yeah so like training couldn't in could include some tech skills mm -hmm. how to use a share your screen Mm -hmm. how to right. how to how to find a digital material and that kind of thing yeah yeah and i think i agree so much with the idea of doing it in a pair because everyone's going to fumble that first time that they do it and i think having the opportunity to fumble when it's not a client that needs us <laughs> is so important too so yeah and i like i've gotten on with people that have been starting telepractice and and done some you know showed them around done some sessions that's kind of the whole reason we have this podcast is cuz we were getting so many of like how do i do this so but i think um you know having more trainings and things where it like physically shows you this is how to do this would be helpful too i think um I think one thing that was really helpful for people, at least from feedback that I've gotten, was seeing actual examples of someone working with a student. I guess in my case, my videos on YouTube are, there's no student on the other side, but I act like there's a student on the other side. But I know like I've had a ton of grad school students reach out just saying how helpful it is to just go through and, and watch how I'm interacting with the non-existent child. And <laughs> <laughs> and just like seeing those examples, like actually be played out, um, I think is helpful. And I think even early on when I was first starting doing telepractice, I think I did try um, looking at watching some videos of some actual therapy sessions. I'm pretty sure I did do that. And I'm pretty sure that was that was helpful for me because that was something that was just so new. Um, this was before COVID and um, it was so new to me and, you know, I wasn't sure exactly how it should look. So um, I, th I think video examples like that is a, is a good uh, piece to the training component. And video examples when things don't go well. <laughs> right. <laughs> Some of the feedback that I've gotten, so I'll, I'll train graduate students as well. And um, especially when I was doing a lot of research, I was recording everything. And my research was on using telepractice with children with autism. And of course, the things didn't go well or to plan all the time. 
And some of the feedback I've gotten was the most helpful videos were those moments where behavior redirection was needed. There was tech issues and I was like trying to figure it out. So yeah, so just having examples of working through problems because tech happens. <laughs> like <laughs> Tech happens. <laughs> tech happens. That, that needs to be a t-shirt. I yeah, like that's it. That's a t-shirt right there. <laughs> tech happens. And also just remembering that tech happens because right. I think people get so stressed out uh, with technology and sometimes you just have to go with the flow and, you know, things happen and you, mm-hmm. you just like you work through it and you get through it, but you maintain that relationship with the child while the tech issues are happening and like you stay connected with them and, and do the best you can, but it's not the end of the world. If something goes wrong, um, you just jump back into it. And I, I think, I think that people just feel defeated when, when things aren't working out the way they want it to. Um, but it happens. <laughs> so. I just wanted to add one other component of the training, which is the e-helper. Um, and getting them to understand and know, because um, even working with adults with, um, you know, cognitive issues such as um, TBI or, um, you know, post-stroke aphasia, uh, that the comprehension may be in some ways disconnected and not up to able to, they're not able to quite, you know, follow directions as well as, as we want them to. So oftentimes we need somebody that's in the room that can do that. So yes, with children, but also with adults, the opportunity for us to actually train the person that's working with them is really, really helpful. And, and, and I know that the more they become comfortable, the better the services and the sessions become for the person that's participating in it, because everybody trusts others to, you know, troubleshoot and to be able to find the right, you know, the right solution to the tech issues as they come about. And so for those reasons, it's, it's really important to remember that we have, you know, the client as well as potentially somebody else that might be in there too. So training for them would be helpful, is helpful, is helpful. Excuse me. It is helpful. Please do that. Yes. Yes. So I have a question for you guys. What is the biggest thing or best thing that you have either learned from telepractice or about telepractice in your years of doing it? Well, going back to assessments, um, for me, although it was very scary, um, I found that I was able to reach a lot of people through telepractice practice, you know, families who couldn't come into our center because, you know, they live really far away from where we are. Um, and I found that recording is magic. I mean, like I go from one time being able to hear their phonological skills to being able to go back and see the behavior um, to the point that I've continued the practice of asking, can I record the session? So something I definitely learned from telepractice is like, the ability to go back and watch it again. Um, so that's my piece. I love that. Yeah. I just was rewatching a Goldman Fristo right before we had this and that ability that it's not a, like another piece that you have to add to your evaluation and worry about like your camera angles and everything like that. If you were in person, it's just right there at a click of a button, literally that you can record that evaluation, that session. I love that, Michelle. You know, um, I would say something for me that was really, really impactful right at the beginning 
was that um, I got to see my own face doing therapy, which, you know, that's for me, that was biofeedback. Like the first time, and luckily this was a long time ago, but the first time, you know, I was like, wow, I'm so serious. Like I was like, like it was a wake up call. Like I'm often juggling like, you know, okay, materials, data. And I didn't realize like, I must've been in person so serious a lot of the time. And I'm like, wow. Okay. So I really have to smile now. Okay. So I really have to do this now. I really, you know, like, and so then that became really automatic. So, um, I actually, after I started doing teletherapy, I started picking up, um, some Saturdays at a local pediatric therapy clinic. And I could tell that that experience of the biofeedback of my own face all day of my own face all day gave me that. I was like, wow, my therapy now is just way more animated and fun. And um, I thought that that was really powerful. Oh, it's sort of avoiding that resting witch face, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Oh, my gosh. I mean, we... If you think about a lot of our training, like in grad school and everything, it's very serious. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, you, there's a lot of serious topics and there's a lot of serious thought. And when you go out there in the field, you're trying to incorporate that into your therapy. But you're also trying to be engaging and all that. It's, it's a lot of balls in the air. <laughs> That's right. I want others to also respond. I just want to do a shout out to any of our uh, live viewers uh, viewing the stream. If you have questions either on the Facebook, in the Facebook group, uh, Telepractice Today, or on Instagram, Telepractice Today Live, ask a question of our panel. I'm sure they would love to uh, answer your questions and they have committed to sending you a $100 bill uh, (laughs) for your questions. Okay. So, so the rest of you, um, what? Just going back to what uh, Kim had asked about, uh, what have you taken away from this, from telepractice? For me, because after um, when I was working at the university, um, and I worked at Adelphi University and created their telepractice program, both the class as well as the practicum experience. Um, to me, the most rewarding at that time was honestly the students' response. They were so enthusiastic, and yes, of course, there was you know some versions of people that said honestly, you know, in 2017 um, when I was talking about it, they were what? What's going on? Are we, sh- uh, you know, is this gonna happen? And I was like, telemedicine is happening. Telehealth is happening come on, we can do this, we can. So, uh, and those students who were at that point enthusiastic and took the course as an elective and participated because they had to volunteer specifically for that practicum experience. It was not in their rotation. It was that they would be, you know, that they asked to participate. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, that was really, really, really rewarding. And as much as I, you know, have... um, uh, been able to uh, share that with others, you know, for me, that was, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. Cause they're, they're, they're always so full of energy, full of interest, full of questions. And they ask the right questions. Cause you got to get 
I got to get my stuff together. So, again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Anyone else? Well, I, I love like the most help, like for me, what was most helpful, especially mm -hmm. when doing like back to back telepractice sessions is getting my procedure down. Like I knew, like I kind of, I opened up the same window every time I had my material ready in the tabs in the order in which they were going to be used. Um, you know, I set, I chose material very carefully as well. So that relationship, like it was easy to pause if it was a video. Sound was easy to control. Visual clutter was removed. So it kind of made room for that relationship building. And I know there's like so many amazing resources out there, but also like, especially when I first started or when people first start kind of having their handful of go-to resources and material that they know work works and they, and it will work every single time. So I, I found that to be really helpful when I first started. That's a very good tip as well. You know, just having all that organized and set up and makes it all go much easier. Anyone else want to respond? Yeah, I just like how accessible it is, um, you know, when a kid is sick. And I mean, I'm, I guess I'm talking about it more so from like a private practice side when the child is home um, or during COVID um, when there's, when they're not attending school. Um, but I mean, it, I loved being able to have the connection with the, with whoever is with the child during the session as well, that um, the family piece, um, having the parents so involved or the caregiver so involved, um, and even having siblings like involved sometimes, uh, I just really, I really loved that part of it as well. Good. Anyone else? <clears throat> so Kim, what, what have you gotten out of it? Oh, so much. <laughs> um, I, I think that the, the thing that I love most about it is the flexibility that, you know, when I have like kids at home, I can say, okay, you go, you, you know, you're sick today, you go sit on the couch and I will be right here. And I know, just know that if I was not at home doing teletherapy, I would have just had to take the day off. And that's um, so important for me as a mom with young kids to have that. And I think think the the biggest lesson that I've gotten is for to be flexible. Um, I have so many times where I have something that I'm like, we're going to do this today. And my kids come in and they mention something they're interested in or something that they're having a hard time with at school. And I'm like, okay, we're going to jump in and do that. And, and having all of the whole internet literally <laughs> at my fingertips to pull from, from re for resources to do that, you know, like, Kate, you're working on, I had a student that was reading like Edgar Allan Poe, which he probably knew more about it than I did, <laughs> that he was, he was reading for an English class. And he's like, I need to understand this. And I was like, okay, hey, we're going to pull this up. We're going to pull up, you know, see if we can find some cliff notes. And just being able to do that in the moment, I think is so, such an amazing tool of telepractice. Very true. Is anyone going to mention the fact that you can do telepractice in your pajama pants and nobody knows? Because that's oh, yeah. a big one for me. Yep. 
Yep. That's a we could all, we could talk about that, right? <laughs> or I have, no I have pants my at black, all, right? Well, I you have to remember me. when you stand up, then. But yes, my like my black leggings or sweatpants is like my go-to. Um, I had one coworker that said that her husband said that she looked like a Rubik's cube <laughs> because she was like ratty t-shirt, sweatpants with a cardigan over the top. So you look good. I have forgotten how to wear real pants. Let's just say that. (laughs) (laughs) And I I will add wearing shoes. I feel like I have (laughs) slippers or barefoot is pretty much the standard at this point. Yes. Yes. That was a benefit, a personal benefit. Yeah. And no commute. If you telepractice, you don't have to commute. No traffic, guys. Just saying. Well, and what about, um, you know, touch up my appearance? Have you tried that? Best button ever. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. Is there like a filter on your computer for that? Zoom. Zoom Zoom has has a touch up for low light. Yep. Touch up my appearance and um, adjust for low light. I did not know this. Yeah. Microsoft Teams is dark. You can even add makeup features, but I don't think it works very well. (laughs) Yeah, there's makeup features. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for teaching me something new. Is it on Microsoft Teams? That's my platform. I don't know if Teams has it or not. Oh. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> any of the listeners out there know of any touch-up features on Microsoft Teams? Drop it in the chat. Please do. Now, I was going to say you were talking about um, traveling and and bo- both for us and for our clients. We Everyone is complaining rightfully so about gas prices right but i have no complaints because i don't have to you know fill up my gas tank as i used to have to do every single week um you know sometimes twice a week you know like that version of life is also nice i i i gladly you know sympathize with those others out there that are going out to work on a regular basis still and um, complaining about gas prices. But thankfully, this is not my complaint right now. And and it hasn't been for a year. So It's also nice to be able to just walk outside and like take a walk whenever you want to like during breaks. And I mean, I don't know, it's it's just nice being home. So. <laughs> Never leaving. <Yeah. laughs> Never leaving your house. When you can get also like over. everyone loves a snow day, right? But like after like if there like a huge storm comes through, telepractice lets you continue to see your clients. You know, like when everybody's tired of being in the snow. But that could be also a disadvantage. <laughs> like I every said, when you're again, tired, you like to have a snow day, right? Hey, you got to do it like day three, Todd. Day three or four of the snow when it's like all ice and you don't want to go outside because right. it's freezing. The the ice took out my internet. I can't I can't do it. It happens. It happens. happens. <laughs> That's what snow days might be a thing of a past in general. Everyone just says, okay, it's an online learning day. <laughs> in my daughter's uh, district, they gave five snow days. And after the five, that was online learning. Yeah. Mm. So, so I live in Utah and for some reason we have never built snow days into our schedule. It's like anytime they happen, everyone's just like, we don't know. We don't know when we'll make it up. We don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> well, they also I don't figure it out. They don't close down very much in Utah. They no, just they bring don't. the plows out don't. and everyone goes skiing or go to work. It's true. 
It's true. I was very confused the first time that I had a, moved to North Carolina and we had a snow day when there was like a flake. I w- had been driving around all day. I got to my after school client that I saw at their school and there were, and everyone was gone. I was like, what happened? I checked Facebook. It was a snow day. I'd been driving all day seeing private practice clients. I have family in North Carolina and they don't know what to do with snow. No. Nope. Yeah. They shut down. Nope. Yeah, I when I interviewed at Utah State many years ago, I asked because I, I just assumed coming from the Carolinas, thinking, "Oh, they get lots of snow days out here, and they clo- have to close the university all the time." And uh, I asked uh, the professor who'd been there many years, and I said, well, "How many snow days do you do you get?" And he says, "Well, I've been here about twenty years. I think we've closed the university twice, and <laughs> <laughs> all those years." And that was true. Uh, yeah, I don't think when I was there, they, they may have delayed because they got a really bad storm, but they bring out the plows and had those uh, 7.15 classes in the morning, 7.15 in the morning that were in the snow. awful to try to get to and with the wind. Yeah, I think, yes. I think we have a question from our Facebook group. Um is there an optimal age for telepractice? Do you still do the traditional time, 45, 55 minutes, or do you shorten your time, your session time? So who wants to take that? I, I will just start by saying there's no optimal age, as far as I know, for telepractice, my opinion, and probably some evidence-based practice, which is also what I would like to say, because that is a huge part. We need much more of that and awareness of what everyone's doing, how, what best practices are, and what's, you know, being done by people that have that are doing it happily, so to speak, as well as the people who are doing it um, begrudgingly. It's fine. But, um, but the thing that I also agree with is, although no optimal age, there is an optimal, um, I want to say, interaction that you want to have. And because of that, you definitely can be selective or, you know, you have to figure ways that you can create new opportunities to do telepractice in different ways that can address clients' needs. Because I I like to believe that everybody can do telepractice. Honestly, that is my approach. Even when I am faced with the most um, challenging situations, I really want to believe that I could still figure it out and just figure out a better way to do it, get better practices, you know, dysphagia, you know, I, I want to do it all. I want it all to happen. So, you know, for me, I try to try to, you know, be creative, be flexible, be resourceful, things like that. But I do think that there is a way that we should, you know, do an initial assessment specifically for telepractice, specifically for ability to be able to interact on the on the platforms that we use, whichever platform that might be, specifically for ways that they can uh you know, visually attend and interact as well as physically attend and participate. Um, I think that there's lots of those characteristics that we do have to take into consideration. And yes, absolutely, with younger children in early intervention, we need to 
definitely train the parents and the caregivers to participate in the session as much as possible to be able to reinforce and frankly do a lot of the session if necessary. And then on the other hand, if there are you know older uh, children that might be less cooperative, so to speak, we need you know versions of ways that we can you know draw them in. So everything that everybody said earlier, I agree with. So to me, I think it's on us as clinicians to try as hard as we can and find solutions to the problems and not categorically cut people out of the system or the services for, you know, for demographic reasons, so to speak, you know, and for, for age reasons or, you know, ability reasons. I think that there's ways that we can, we, we can think about it differently to be able to, to address a lot of the needs. And don't get me wrong, I do not have all the answers. I'm hoping that we can find the answers over time together as, you know, a collaborative effort, so to speak, of other telepractice tel uh, practitioners. So, you know, I, I really do believe that we can help so many more people if we're given an opportunity and we we, we shoot for a goal of, of success. Mm -hmm. I love that idea of having some kind of like uh, assessment and like a rating scale of like, you know, their engagement, their ability to use technology, their support system um, at the home. I think like all of those are kind of uh, those qualitative measures that are, and quantitative measures that we could make to say whether a student is right for this or not, instead of just like doing a blanket statement of kids under this age or kids with this disability or adults with this disability. I think there's so much better ways to look at it. I, um, I was going to say, I, I do, like, I agree with, with everything Dawn was saying. And, um, you know, I think it's really important that a teletherapy session looks as much like a, an in-person session as possible, as far as how you're interacting with the child. And I think the length of the session as well, I think, um, you know, you just, you have to remember to include those moments of just being with the child and, you know, addressing their interests and, you know, all of that stuff is so important too, when you're working virtually with a child. And I think some people don't realize, or don't, maybe don't remember to include those pieces of it because they're so overwhelmed with the technology piece of it. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, it's important to keep the, the session length that's appropriate for the child. And, um, as with any session, whether you're in person or virtual, sometimes you do need to shorten it. Um, but just keeping it as similar to an in-person session as, as possible, I think is, is the best way to go about that. You know, I was going to say, um, going back to what Don said, I also agree completely, um, you know, the thing that's really interesting is that ch children grow and change. And so <clears throat> I had a student and I was sitting here doing the math, like what grade was he in? Was he in first or second grade? But, and was, did I work with him for three or four years? I don't, I don't have, it's fuzzy, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, he was very young when he started with me and it was teletherapy because I was assigned to a school where as a bilingual SLP, you're typically like a spread across multiple schools. So you're seeing kids in, you're seeing all the Spanish speakers in a variety of different schools. And so um, at this one school, it, a stu the student 
um, was autistic and he was young and um, the first few sessions, I mean, he would just touch the computer and like, go like this. And sometimes the session would end because he clicked leave the meeting. <laughs> and, you know, I worked with the, my e-helper and um, we always had something like in front of him paper wise and we could do so many different things. I would share the exact same thing that he was working with. He said, I don't want to look at your face. You know, he didn't want to look at my face. He just wanted to do the work. And then, you know, years went by. Now, going back to that moment, in that moment, there were so many times where I was thinking, he is not appropriate for teletherapy. But if I said that, who is going to work with him? And nobody's going to work with him in Spanish. So I was all he had. And going fast forward to the the last time I worked with him that last year, he got to the point where he could have a group mate. So he was in a group with another student from his class, um, both had speech and it was such a nice group. He, he had progressed. He'd be, he'd become more organized. He'd been able to handle the session and with the group mate, they were taking turns. It, It was fantastic. I remember thinking, I thought he couldn't handle this. And here we are a couple of years later with him doing an exact speech therapy session, just with me over the computer, the things we did, I would have done in person. Um, and to, to be able to interact with a group mate that could be a model um, was fantastic. Another question for us from our good friend, Nathan Curtis. Nathan asks, uh, first he says, great show. Would you offer your top tips for engaging your tele-learners? So what are your top tips for engaging the clients, patients you're working with? First one that comes to my mind is my dog. Um, He is a huge motivator. I when I need the kids to do something like for doing drill work, I will have a pile of treats and I will point my camera at the dog and I will throw the treat. And my dog will catch it and the kids get a kick out of it. And that is <laughs> literally how I get the cap on the two and a half year old to do virtual therapy. Um, so if you have animals, use them. Train the train your pets. Do you know there's virtual animals that you can? Mm-hmm. Yes, they're awesome. Epic. And so the, the kids can have, like, as a, you know, instructional pause or motivator, you, they can have their virtual pet and take care of them for like two minutes. It's awesome. Love that. Mm-hmm. Good. Any other um, tips that you guys use to? Yeah, I think kind of going off of what I, what I just said before, um, I mean, just being a human and like, um, like Michelle said about bringing your dog into the session or something like showing your person and, you know, giving them a little bit of your life too, um, just really makes you seem more like a person than just some picture on the screen. Um, and also, you know, builds into that relationship that you have with the child. So that's really important. Um, and just like being present and, you know, not worrying about technology problems, like we were talking about just being present. Um, being there and uh, responsive to whatever the child does or says. And, um, you know, with, especially with the younger ones being animated and um, you know, that definitely 
helps a lot with the younger ones and um, bringing in favorite characters or stories they like. Um, and yeah. And if you need tips on how to be animated, go watch Abby's videos on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> I love them. <laughs> so I, I don't work with children as much, um, except for in, in the clinic. And so I, I pretty much work with a lot of adults and I do professional voice use and I do um, some accent modification, public speaking, things like that. And of course, that's a whole different like discussion in, in many ways. Don't get me wrong. Clinical supervision, fantastic. Lots of fun. Did lots of it. So, <laughs> so some of the tips, I, I would say my, my top tip, honestly, is to continue to learn the technology all the time because, um, most platforms are updating almost on a monthly basis with new features, new um, ways to interact and uh, ways to, uh, you know, present that are different, that are, that are interesting, that are engaging, that are, you know, helpful. And so, you know, every once in a while, taking some time to hit that advanced button, even on Zoom, so that you know, what else can I do with Zoom beyond this version of things is, is really helpful. And, and truthfully, I think that, um, we continue to get uh, opportunities to build and grow with telepractice. And so as I learn how to use it better, I also get to present things in a better, more interesting way and ask the client whether, especially with my clients, they're very, you know, they're, they're able to obviously respond actively um, that they, you know, can, can participate. And, and I used to tell my students with, as you know, from, from the babies, cause we used to do, you know, um, what we called kid talk and top talk groups, groups, no less on telepractice groups on telepractice with two-year-olds. It was a lot. <laughs> Thank goodness for that mute button, right? Those moments. It was, it was things to do. Um, but to, uh, my tip is that, um, I would always say, don't let the client sit with their hands in their lap, right? So the tip was, you always want the client to be doing something, whether physical or on the screen or typing something in or as much as possible. I shouldn't say always because that's impossible, but you know, as often as possible through the session to be able to interact, to be able to move things on the screen, to be able to press the keyboard to add something. If, if we're working on literacy to type things into the whiteboard or et cetera. So as much as possible, hands active and interactive. So that, that would be my, my tip. I love that. Mm -hmm. That's something I haven't thought about as much before because I, I have so much control over what they're looking at in the screen and having them, you know, have some of that control too, and some of that interaction too. So we have another question have you tried co-treatment with other SLPs or occupational therapists, physical therapists, teachers, or other professionals? So anyone want to chat? I'll so the Michelle's. Ahead, Michelle. <laughs> well, again, here I go with 
my assessment, um, I do multidisciplinary testing. So actually all my assessment has been with at least a special ed teacher. Um, and it's been with a physical therapist, occupational therapist, sometimes psychologist. And um, the kicker is that I'm also the bilingual on the team. So we did have to get very creative and understand each other's pieces. Um, I, for the most part, was the only Spanish speaker. Um, so I had to do a lot of translating for my coworkers. Um, but, but it did give like a more rounded, you know, version, right? Like I, I ask about toileting and dressing and, you know, draw a line, now do it this way. And then like, go up the stairs, go down, jump, stand on one foot. So um, I did have a lot of practice in terms of evaluating with um, other disciplines. And I, and I, I enjoyed it. And, and so just to follow up on that, Michelle, did, so were you connecting to the school and then the PT or that professional is there with the child? How, how was the you ready? Was set up? Let me tell you how we did it. So we are all only allowed to use Microsoft Teams. So we are all little boxes on the screen and we have um, a SharePoint document. We mm-hmm. all in advance put in all our questions and then they could live see me um, writing the answers in English. So we all knew, I knew what questions we needed to see, or we needed to ask of the parent or of the child. And then the mom is on the screen with the child. Sometimes it's like a cell phone and like, you don't see the kid well. So once we have the kid in screen, then we would just start the play. We would tell the mom in advance, bring some blocks, have some books, turn the pages, leave him alone. We just want to see how he plays with those cars. Oh, does he always lay down and, and spin the wheels like that? You know, and, and I would write it. They would write in their questions in English. I would read them. I would say them in Spanish. I would write the answer in English. And so the written narrative was my communication with my coworkers, but I was the voice for the whole team because there was Spanish speaking family and my entire team was monolingual English speakers. And that's how we did assessments through all of COVID till September. Um, it, you know, that's how we made it work. The like working memory required to do what you just described like blows my mind (laughs) you know sometimes you just like you got to get stuff done and we're like how are we gonna make it happen you know we get all these kids and and we came up with the idea and we just like refined it with time and you know maybe my brain got better and like the reading in one language say it in the other and then back and then you know as long as I didn't have a word finding problem Cause then I'd be like, I don't know how to say that when the OT starts with her sensory stuff. Forget <laughs> it. Cause then I also do eligibility meetings, right? I do eligibility IEP meetings as well. Mm-hmm. Again, translating for all my coworkers. Cause well, I would my school district pay for interpreters. Um, and you know, sometimes I would have significant word finding and I was just like, listen, this is the word in English. I'm going to tell you what it means. Cause sensory processing. If there was a word in Spanish, Sarah, you probably know it. I don't know. I was just like, ah, and I just described. So it was, it was interesting, but you know, I learned when kids need to pull up their pants and button and zippers and toilet training and a lot from my coworkers. Michelle B, you were going to. I was going to say um, with tele-AAC, we would work a lot with either our AAC specialist or the SLPA or the families. And um, yeah, and and with tele-AAC, we also needed, like, there's an extra component of technology onto it. So having a team that 
again, knows that procedure can work with each other well, can troubleshoot, um, is fantastic. It's fantastic when that happens. Mm -hmm. So yes, it's absolutely doable. Something I want to do more of, I think, especially um, being able to be, you know, like in the classroom, so to say, or with another uh, special education teacher, I think would be so helpful. And, and like uh, Michelle Posner was saying that it gives you that like, broad view of the child and their development. I think we, you know, rightly so, we are focused on language because we have enough to focus on with speech and language. And that sometimes we forget that like whole picture of the child too. And I think that's such a big thing that we can gain from doing the co-treating. You know, what's really cool. I haven't done this in years, but with interactive whiteboards, I would be projected, I would do a group, a class activity. And I would be projected on the interactive whiteboard with the activity and the students could like go up and interact with it. And it was really neat. And that was a whole class with the special um, special educator. I love that. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Well, I, I want to be uh, respectful of, of the panel's time. Uh, and I know you probably want to go have dinner at some point and see your families. So why don't we wrap up by uh, each person just kind of uh, saying how people could reach out if they want and any other comments you want to want to say and leave with our, our listeners be great. So anyone can jump in. Okay. I'll jump in. Okay. Thank you. Um, so yeah, if if anyone wants to, uh, to learn more about what I'm doing or uh, how I'm doing things, um, more of the the play based type teletherapy, um, or how you can use it in all the different settings, then you can reach out to me. Um, our email is contact at gogospeech.com. Um, you can also sign up for our mailing list to get more updates if you're interested in that membership that we're going to be opening back up hopefully in the next month or two. Um, and we'll be sending all our updates to our mailing list and everything. But, um, so yeah, you Thanks, need Abby. <laughs> or reach out on Instagram or Facebook. <laughs> yep. Thank you. We're so excited for the new platform. We'll have to check in with you and see how it's going. Yes. <laughs> so I'll, I'll go, I'll go next. Um, so first of all, I, I have a telepractice planner that I definitely encourage people to seek out. It is on Amazon. It is called Strong in Telepractice Technology Project Planner, and it's a six-month planner. So I definitely encourage anybody in the audience to check out uh, that and, and contact me if you want further information. And you can contact me through my website. I do have a website for my business, World Class Speech Services. Uh, is the name of the business, and it's wcspeech.com. A little less to type in, wcspeech.com. Um, and of course, um, I am on all the, well, okay, that's a lie. I'm kind of on a lot of social medias um, because I only just joined TikTok 
three weeks ago and I'm not really doing anything there. So don't look for me on Snapchat or TikTok, but LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram uh, and Twitter. I am there and uh, I'm under my name and under my business name. So you can certainly find me there. And I, I do, I do love to speak to people. I do um, anticipate, um, you know, working with a lot of professionals in the field. So I'm psyched about that and look forward to hearing from anyone. Thank you, Don. Thank you, Don. Yeah. Um, I'll go next. Next. This is Michelle Posner. Um, I would love if anybody wants to reach out. Um, my, my aim in life is to help monolinguals feel more comfortable working with bilinguals. So if you are one of those, um, reach out if you have any questions. Bilingualism is my soapbox. So my website is bilingualslp.com. My email is my name, Michelle, at bilingualslp.com. And um, on Instagram and on Facebook, uh, my handle is at bilingualslpllc. Thank you, Michelle. I might reach out. Oh, Michelle, and then you tell me how to put on my makeup on on Zoom, okay? We'll do an exchange. I'm already planning on it. I had I did an evaluation today on a student whose parents still speak Spanish and he speaks in, mostly English. I'm like, I gotta call Michelle. I already knew it. I was like, I gotta call Michelle Poster. Yes, yes you do. You got my email. Find yes, me. I have it. Yes. <laughs> I'll just go, I'll just go and wrap up. My name is um, Michelle Boisvert. Please reach out if you are, uh, yes, interested in telepractice, technology, workload management. That is like my new passion. Um, please check out the our website. It's easyreportpro.com. Um, I am on Facebook and Instagram. Like sort of just getting used to those <laughs> platforms. I know it's a necessity. Um, and you, you can reach out via email, um, Michelle B at easyreportpro.com. And I, yeah, I just love talking anything related to technology. Thanks, Michelle. Um, so I'm Sarah Wu. Um, like I said before, um, I, uh, let's see here. I, um, <laughs> my website is speechisbeautiful.com. And um, my handle pretty much everywhere is Sarah Wu SLP. Um, and if you want to chat anything, teletherapy, um, bilingualism as well is a passion. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd love that. I, I will say, like, I don't know about anybody here, but kind of like I'm kind of spending too much time on Instagram, but it's also not necessarily leading to anything productive. And so... <laughs> I'm like, why am I doing this? It's it's a time suck, and and I'm not sure I'm really getting much out of it. <laughs> but I did, I do get to message people like Michelle Posner. So we did message fan girl moment, fan girl right here. <laughs> so it was worth it, Sarah. It was worth me. it. It was worth it. <laughs> well, I want to thank all of you for joining us. It's been a great conversation, and. Uh, and we'll just have to start planning for um, the 200th episode, right? Another 100 episodes, we'll come back, we'll we'll check in and see how everyone's doing. And maybe you'll put on like a like a workshop, right? Like let's make all these things happen. Why don't you put on like a like a telepractice pod like um a podcast? Conference. That's a good idea. A telepractice <laughs> podcast. Right? I might you think should about do a tele- 
I, yeah. I am so with you, Michelle Posner. We really need to have a full, full platform of telepractice information. And I say this in all seriousness, our new, I shouldn't, should I say ours? Yeah, I'm going to say it anyway. New York State is having its conference coming up and there's hardly anything on telepractice. And I did the pres a couple of presentations for the last couple of years, obviously. Um, and so that's why I'm paying attention to it. But it's like, it's hardly anything on there. We need a whole platform, a whole day, a whole platter and buffet of all the telepractice that you guys do and put it together. Yes, Todd, that is your assignment. Oh, well, thank, <laughs> you, thank you, Todd and Kim. Todd well, and Kim. <laughs> I, I will just sort of put a plug in for uh, 3C Digital Media Network. We are adding more content. And so uh, some of you, Michelle B has uh uh, has a great webinar on our on our site now. And invite all of you if you want to contribute some webinars. We'd love to work with you. And we do want to get into sponsoring or work with others to sponsor some live events. So maybe some live, whether they're online or in person somewhere, but to do some workshops on telepractice and other topics as well. So Stay tuned. You might get invited to speak at one of these. Okay. Cool. That'd be great. And if you say no, I'll hunt you down. And <laughs> we know how to find you. That's right. We will, we will find you somewhere. I have a very particular set of skills that I can, <laughs> I will find you. Well, thank you again, guys, for joining us. It's been a wonderful time, and and good luck with everything. Have a great holiday weekend, and we'll all, we'll see you all very soon. Yes, thank you. Bye, guys. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye, Bye, everybody. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.